0: Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Continuing Letter number 11 on page 188 he says that in order what's the right path to draw down Hashem's presence God's presence is when a person has no desire for material things doesn't care about material things now How do we know if a person truly cares about something? A person could think, delude himself, that he doesn't care about something. What's the real test if a person really cares about something? It reminds me of this story. This uh, philanthropist supported the yeshiva, and uh, one time he donated, this was in Eastern Europe, the yeshiva students, so he donated some turkeys, some chickens and turkeys to the yeshiva. And the students got all excited. <laughs> they haven't had meat in months. Chicken. So they were already looking forward. They're going to have a real meal. And they got all excited about the turkeys and the chickens. And uh, the philanthropist was very upset. He turns to the dean and he says, I don't understand. I thought... These yeshiva boys are very spiritual. All they care about is studying Torah, the divine Torah. And here they're getting excited about, about material things, about having a, a turkey dinner and chicken for dinner. He says, I have, I have the fanciest steaks every night. I don't get excited about it. The dean of the yeshiva smiles and he said, he says, he wanted to know the difference between you and the students. Take away the turkey from them. Take away the trick. What will happen? Well, they were very excited, but they don't have it. Listen, they didn't have it for months. So they'll continue life without it. The reason they got so excited is because it was a novelty. It, wasn't, it was foreign to them. He says, Try taking away your steak dinners and we'll see who gets excited. (laughs) A person says, yeah, I don't care about it. He deluded himself. What do I care? I don't get excited about it. What's the big deal? How do we know if a person really cares about something? When he's deprived of it. He can't take it. It's so much a part of it. It's his pleasure. It's his life. You take it away from me. My life is ruined, my life is destroyed. So a person can claim and say, I don't care about material things. It doesn't matter to me. And we're talking here about basic necessities. Your life, your health, your family. Basic, we're not talking about luxuries, we're talking about basic necessities in life. So a person can say, I don't care about anything material. It doesn't mean anything to me. Well, there's only one way of knowing. God forbid, you're deprived of it, it's taken away from you, how do you react? Is your whole life shattered and broken? You have nothing left to live for? After the Depression, during the Depression, people were jumping out of windows because their whole life was crumbled. Their whole life was nothing more than their bank account and their careers, and their external status. But what happens if you take everything strip, strip that all away? What, are you, what is your life all about? Is your life worth living? Do you have what to live for? Do you have a purpose? If you take away all the externals, all the props. In life, essential, basic necessities. The Balshemtiv said, explained the verse. King David says in the Psalms, "Shivisi Hashem lenegdi sumit." So literally, it means that God is always before me, in front of me. This is the opening line, the beginning of the code of Jewish law that a Jew always has to envision that God is standing right in front of me. When you wake up in the morning, God is right there, right before me. Shem Tov says, Shivisi comes from the word in Hebrew, Shavius, means it's equal. Whatever happens to me, whatever life throws me, whatever God throws at me, to me it's all the same. Yes, no. It's all the same, it's all equal to me. Because I really couldn't care less. It's not, I don't care about these things. So if I don't care about materialism, I'm not wrapped up, I'm not identified with it, and then it's all the same to me. I have it. I don't have it. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't subtract. It doesn't take away from my core, my essence, who I am. Because Hashem is connected, Hashem is constantly in front of me. All that means, all that matters to me is my connection, my relationship with Hashem. As long as I have Hashem, nothing else really matters. Everything is equal to me. I do have, I don't have. I'm wealthy, I'm poor. I have honor, I don't have honor. It doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't play a role. It doesn't add, it doesn't subtract. That's the level that every Jew aspires to reach. We can honestly say, Hashem,, <speaking in Hebrew> because God is right in front of me, therefore, everything is the same. Thing. everything is equal. And this is the test. God forbid. If it's taken away from a person, how does a person react? Is your life shattered? Do you crumble? the Jewish people. We were stripped away from everything. Everything was taken from us. Our families, our wealth, ourselves. Everything was taken away from us throughout history. And the Jewish people did not crumble and did not... Because our identity our core identity runs much deeper than anything external. Our central identity is indestructible because what's the Jew all about? When you strip away, strip everything away. During the Holocaust, we were stripped of everything. Reduced to a number. And yet, the Jewish spirit is indestructible, unbreakable because at the core and at the essence it's about our relationship with Hashem no one can touch that no one can take that away that remains whole that remains intact that remains so this is like the ultimate test how do I know if a person is for real that your life your identity what excites you what moves you, what inspires you, what excites you, what motivates you, is your relationship with Hashem. Or not. Maybe you are motivated by material things. That's what you live for. What's the test? The test is when you take everything away. God forbid, the material things are taken away and you're challenged. That's the test. How do you react? Is your life shattered and crumbled? Or you still have your core remains intact, your essence remains intact, and no one can touch that place. This really gets to the really the essence of what a Jew is all about. What we live for. What we strive for. No matter what happens in life, that relationship remains intact and whole. So that's the test. That's the test in life. How do I know that that you live by force, that Really you don't care about material being and material welfare, material material existence. It means nothing to you. So I don't care about it. It doesn't mean, doesn't add, doesn't subtract, it doesn't it won't make my day and it won't crush me if if I do have it, if I don't have it, it's all equal, it's all the same. That's not what my life is about. It's not what I live for. And what I live for, no one can take away from me. There were two good friends. One became a rabbi, a spiritual leader. And the other one was, uh, did not have a following. And they met, and one friend turns to the other. One who did not have a following turns to the other and says, I don't understand. Why is it that you have such a great following? We were both friends. We both know how to learn equally. What's the difference in you and I? This friend turns to me and says, let me ask you, what's the greatest day you ever had in your life? He said, I'll tell you the truth. I once did a business deal and unexpectedly I made like 10,000 ruble. It was like mana from heaven. It was like completely from left field. It was incredible. So his friend says, let me tell you what my greatest day is. He says, when I wake up in the morning and I can put on the tefillin and I can do a mitzvah and I can connect with the Almighty, connect with Hashem, the joy and the pleasure that it gives me, trust me, is 10,000 times greater than the joy that you had when you got the $10,000. And his friend heard this. He realized why Everyone is going to his friend while he was the rabbi and he became his devoted chassid. So it depends on what motivates you. What, what are you living for? What's your life all about? What do you define life? What do you define life? What's the, what do you define? What's real? What's not real? If you're connected and you have that relationship with Hashem, and that relationship is indestructible. So nothing in the world can shake that, shake you up. You do have, you don't have, you are suffering, you're not suffering, you're deprived, you're not deprived, you're rich, you're poor. That doesn't affect you. That doesn't affect your inner richness that no one can touch. You're the happiest person in the world, you're the richest person in the world. It doesn't come from anything external. Your life, your pleasure, your richness comes from within. Your joy comes from within. Love comes from within. All the money in the world can't buy love. All the money in the world can't buy happiness. Inner joy, inner love, inner peace of mind only comes from within. We're the wealthiest generation that ever lived. King Solomon can only dream of the luxuries that's available to the simplest person today. The simplest person today... Lives a life that 100 years ago, 200 years ago, would have been the equivalent of having 240 slaves just to be able to provide for you the luxuries and the conveniences that each and every one of us has today. And yet, we're the most miserable generation in history. Psychologists, psychiatrists, pills, and. Because all the money in the world can't buy inner happiness, inner joy. That something comes from within. That comes from your relationship with Hashem. It doesn't come from anything external. Not money, not power, not fame, indulgence, luxuries, luxus, pleasure. None of that can touch and generate real, genuine joy and happiness and contentment and peace of mind. That comes from within. That comes from your marriage and relationship with God. So if you do have externals, you don't have externals, you have wealth, you don't have wealth, you have all these things... It doesn't matter to you. It's all the same to you. I operate in this world. I'm forced to. Because God sent me. I'm here on the mission. That's what I have to do. But I don't care about it. That's not how I define myself. How do I know it's not delusional? I can think. Like that rich uh, benefactor thought that materialism meant nothing to him. Because he didn't get excited about it. But as the rabbi pointed out, take it away from you and we'll see who gets excited. It's, this is the test. When it's taken away from you and suddenly you're deprived, does the whole world come tumbling down? Are you crushed? Incapacitated? Depressed? Mad? Angry? Paralyzed? Or, as Rabbi Zusha says, I never suffered a day in my life. I have my tefillin, I have my relationship with Hashem. I have my mitzvot, I have my connection, I'm the richest person in the world. Happiest person. But now the Al Rebbe is going to take it a step further. He says, not only is the test if a person everything is taken away from him and yet he's not dejected and he remains joyful and inside he remains filled with life and and hope and goodness because he doesn't care about material things and doesn't matter in one way or the other either way he's fine it's like water off his back it doesn't He does have, he doesn't have, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything core or anything essential. In addition to that, he's going to explain that actually the pain and suffering, everything that comes from Hashem is really good. So a a person of genuine faith of real faith, of absolute faith in Hashem, who believes that Hashem is creating the world each and every moment. And everything that happens to us is by divine providence, down to the tiniest detail. And that God is personally, Hashem is personally taking care of us, every step of the way. And everything that comes from Hashem is good. Then it's not even pain or suffering. Then it's actually good. Not that you're deprived, but I don't care if I'm deprived because materialism means nothing to me. Anything external, superficial, material means absolutely nothing to me. All that matters to me is the inner life, the rich life, the spiritual life, my, my soul life, my connection, relationship with Hashem. Nothing else matters to me. It's much deeper than that. If you really believe that everything comes from Hashem and everything Hashem does is good, then what's happening to me right now is good. It's not pain. It's not deprivation. It's actually good. It's actually a blessing. That's the ultimate test of faith. This is taking it a step further, a much deeper level. It's one level where you don't matter, it doesn't matter. If you're deprived, you're not deprived, you're suffering, you're not suffering, it doesn't mean anything. Material things can't touch me. But here, here it's a much deeper level. That everything that you have is really a blessing from Hashem. Not only you don't have no yearning, no desire, you don't care about anything, anything physical, even essential things, but much deeper than that. That it's actually you consider it a blessing. As Abzusha said, I never suffered a day in my life. It's not suffering. It's all good. Page 188, the clarification of this matter, the second paragraph from the bottom.
0: The clarification of this matter, how one can achieve a state of not desiring the physicality of even those things who are most crucial to his existence, is as follows. This can be achieved only when there is an absolute belief in the yotza the Literally, as in the opening words of the Alu new prayer, this phrase refers to Hashem as the one who formed the first beginnings of creation. In the Kabbalistic lexicon, however, Rashi also connotes this
1: the Sefira st- okay. called Chachma.
0: The Altar Rabbi hence uses the phrase here to allude to Hashem as the one who created everything by the means of Rashid, by means of the serif
1: of So we say in the Aleinu, which was actually uh, written by Joshua, when the Jews conquered the land of Canaan and they surrounded the walls of Jericho, he composed the prayer of Aleinu. That's a very popular prayer. It's usually the end of the davening. Everyone knows the Kiddush is next. <laughs> So he says, we thank Hashem to give praise to Hashem, it's incumbent upon us to give praise to Hashem, to the master of all and to the creator of Bereshis. So Yoytzer means the one who forms, Bereshis, Bereshis is in the beginning but it refers to the beginning, the first sphera, the first emanation, the first divine emanation, which is the godly sphera of Chachma. Uh, which is called Reishis. As we say, it says in the Torah, In the beginning God created, but with Reishis, God created the whole universe with Reishis through the divine emanation of chachma of wisdom. This means that
0: the creation of Yesh that which exists out of the state of I, nothingness, which is called Reshet Chokma. Loosely the phrase Yesh I means something from nothing. Example creation, Ex Nehalo. Here, however, the meaning of I is not known being or no existence for we cannot say that the source of creation is non-being when everything is from you. All of creation comes from godliness, the only entity that has true existence. Rather, I here means incomprehensible for that which a created being understands his terms, existing, while that which totally transcends his understanding, he denotes as non-existing, inasmuch as it does not exist within the world of his understanding.
1: So when we say something from nothing, it really makes no sense. Really, creation should be called nothing from something. Because God is creating, God is something, and we are nothing. Why do we say that we are something and we come from nothing? So the only reason we call it nothing is because we can't comprehend it. So we can't grasp it. So to us, we can't even wrap our minds around it. To us, it's nothing. Like It's as if it doesn't exist. Anything that we can't perceive or perceive with our senses or perceive with our minds... But our conceptual conception, to us, it, it doesn't exist. Although the truth is, that's the only existence, that's the true existence, that's the source of existence. It's like the whole known universe is only uh, 4%. We're like the the edge of the ocean, we're like the beach. And we don't realize beyond the beach is a whole huge ocean, which we can see and we can you know, it's at night and you're standing at the edge of the beach and you think that that's that's the only reality. You can't even imagine there's a whole reality that's way beyond our grasp, our comprehension. So too the whole universe. So the whole the world, the whole known universe, God creates the whole known universe. A world of concepts, ideas, numbers, definitions. Time, space, the whole world, words, the whole known universe exists in such a narrow little, tiny little space. What's beyond that, beyond time, space, numbers, concept, we call nothing. Because to us it's infinite and we can't begin to grasp it. We can't even begin to know it. We don't even have the tools with which to grasp and to know Anything that we can't put into words, or anything that's not limited and finite and defined. So we call it nothing. But the truth is, that's the source. That's reality. We are nothing. But we call ourselves, we are something. Anything we can grasp, we call something. Something real. I can touch it, it's real. A baby has to touch something, to know that it's real. You know, I can touch it, I can taste it, I can grasp it, I grow up, I can grasp it with my mind, it makes sense to me, it's logical, it fits a pattern, then it's real. Anything beyond that, to me, it's not real, but the truth is, that is real. Really, that's something, and we are nothing. But we call it something from nothing. So our words are a poor approximation of reality. We're trying to describe something that's really beyond our understanding. How can words capture, we capture in words something that's really beyond our comprehension? The whole idea of creation, creating something from nothing is beyond our comprehension. We can't create something from nothing. We speak and nothing happens. (laughs) God speaks and He creates a world. So the whole idea of something from nothing is really beyond our comprehension. Everything in this world is logical, it is sequential cause leads to an effect, which becomes the cause to the following effect, and it goes on and on and on. But the idea of something from nothing, something abrupt and suddenly appearing out of nothing and no rhyme and no reason and no logic, why should something come from nothing? This whole idea is beyond our words. So we're trying to use words to describe a process that's really beyond description. So it's a poor choice of words. But we, we don't have any other words to describe it in. So we say something from nothing. Like if we try to talk about God. We talk about the ears of God, the eyes of God. Because we can't... We have such... We're so impoverished. We have such a poor choice of... Because, you know, we try to speak in metaphors. We try to speak about things that are really beyond words and beyond description. But we don't have a choice. What are we going to say? Nothing from something. It doesn't mean anything to us. So we're trying to describe ah, nothing. Anything that's beyond us, we call nothing. We label as nothing. And we, we're so firm about our reality, we're so certain about our reality and about our existence. We're something. Anything we can touch is something. It's real, it's tangible, it's reality. Anything that's beyond us, we describe as nothing.
0: Yes, mind does describes the creation of something that comes into existence from the eye of Homa. Homa is in turn known as Reshit uh, first, as in the verse Reshit Homa. The level of emanation called Homa is deemed to be first because it is the first of the Sephiroth, and as such serves as a source of creation. Unlike the levels of divinity. Proceeding, which are too high, so to speak, to emanate down to the level of creation.
1: So, what is the first? What is the first level of our universe? The first level of creation. The first level of consciousness. Our whole universe exists within our consciousness. What is the first level of consciousness? It's the creative spark, the eureka moment the ability to sense, the ability to grasp an idea. That bolt of lightning that suddenly, that flash of lightning that suddenly enters into our conscious mind, seemingly from nowhere, from our subconscious, which we call nothing, because we're, we're not aware of it, we're unaware of it, we can't even sense it. So our consciousness we call something, and what's beyond our consciousness, which is really the source of reality, the source of our consciousness, and it's way beyond our consciousness. And a billion, a zillion times beyond our consciousness. But we're completely oblivious to it. Completely unaware of it. Our human body is so complex. I'm talking about a hundred trillion cells and interrelationships and interconnections. And all of this happens without our knowledge and awareness. It just happens simultaneously. Trillions of events happen in one split second it's beyond our consciousness, it's beyond our ability. If we try to describe what happens in the human body, it's impossible. It's so miraculous, it's so beyond our whole frame of reference. Our whole frame of reference is so limited. It's like taking an ocean and trying to reduce it to a trickle through our sink where a little drop of water comes out one drop at a time. You're taking a roaring ocean... (laughs) And you're trying to reduce it. There's no comparison. This little drop of water that's coming from the sink you can't compare it to the source. The ocean is so infinitely times vaster and greater. And you know, it's try- like trying to take a three-dimensional person and projecting it on a two-dimensional surface. You get a cartoon. So our whole consciousness is a cartoon. A pale reflection, a little, not even a drop in the ocean in comparison to the ocean, like a drop in the ocean in comparison to the ocean, compared to its source, where it's coming from, the subconscious, which is so vibrant, alive, and dynamic. But it's beyond words. We don't have words, we don't have metaphors, we we don't even have language, we don't even have the capacity to begin to grasp and to understand what's going on in our subconscious. Even to access our subconscious. People go through their whole life and don't, are not even aware that they even have a subconscious. But that's the source of our consciousness. But what's the window? What's the beginning? The opening? The connection between the subconscious and the conscious? That's the creative. Creativity. Intuition. The flash. The bolt of lightning. The Eureka movement. That's the Chachma. Chachma is the ability to sense to sense, to get a feel, a sense. That's the window to the subconscious. That's the communication, the I am that we get from the subconscious to the conscious. That's the Chachm. And even when we have that flash, that bolt of lightning, that flash of awareness, it's a flash. We don't yet have it in words. We can't yet describe it. We can't grasp it. It's just an intuition, a sense, a feel that suddenly things are right. You were puzzled. You were befuddled, confused, confounded. And suddenly, you see a way out, you see the path, you see you see an answer. But you don't yet have it in words, you can't yet describe it, you can't explain it, you can't even explain it to yourself, it's just a feeling, a sense. But that's the beginning, that starts the process of a consciousness, which that leads to the next level, which is Bina, when you can grasp the idea, bring it down into words, explain it to yourself very clearly, and then you can start explaining it to others. And then you start internalizing it, integrating it, personalizing it, which leads to the emotions. Then you start, generates a feeling, a feeling of attraction, a feeling of repulsion, a feeling of compassion, which leads to motivation, to the drive, to now I want to go and succeed, I want to become rich, I want to become famous, I want to become powerful, whatever it is that you understood and that leads to your, motivates you to go and act on it. Act upon your emotions. Which leads to action and to implementation. So the whole known universe, the whole conscious universe, the whole universe that we operate in, which is our consciousness, which is words, concepts, ideas, numbers, all of that begins and originates with the first flash. Chachma. That's the beginning of consciousness. It's the birth of consciousness. That's the seed. That's the seed of life. And then through a process it develops into, uh, into fruition it, that seed develops ripens into, into fruition but it all begins with that seed that spark that's Chachm that's Reishus Bereishus Baralekim God creates the whole universe with Bereishus that's the seed that's the emanation divine emanation of Chachm that's the ocean reduced to a drop And that becomes the beginning and the spark of life in this world as we know it. And in all the worlds. Because beyond Chachma, that's beyond our comprehension. That's nothing. That's what we call nothing. It's like what we call today uh, dark energy, black holes, black energy, dark uh, that we can't even... It's not we call it nothing because we don't we we have no words, we don't even know what it is. we can't even begin to describe it. we can't even grasp it we don't even have the tools with which to grasp it we we have nothing to say we have we don't even know where to start, but we recognize that that's reality we know enough to recognize that that is reality that is ninety six percent of reality that is reality. our whole universe, our whole known universe is just we're just standing at the beach it's a little sliver it's a drop in the ocean it's the tip of the iceberg it's nothing we are truly nothing that is truly something but that's a revelation for us Intuit- intuitively instinctively we feel we're solid our reality is solid is rock solid anything else we call nothing we can't grasp it it's beyond us Today we know better. But that's the human language. That's what we call something from nothing. From the ayin of Chachma. Chachma is in a state of nothingness. Because all it is is a flash. All it is is a sense. It's more of a feeling. It's wordless. It's preverbal, But it's just a feeling, a sense. So it's nothing. It's, an, it's the beginning of consciousness, but it's in a state of nothingness. I can't grasp it yet. I don't have it in words. It can slip away. That's why when you have that flash, it's like, it's like you wake up from a dream. You have an impression, but it can easily slip away. You have, to, you have to remind yourself to hold on to that impression. Otherwise, it just slips out of your consciousness and it's lost. The creative spark, creative person just gets an impression and he has to f- struggle to hold on to it. He shouldn't lose it. And then he can take that impression and work with it and bring it down into words and draw it down into the next level of Bina and to create a structure and to bring it down to words. But it all begins with nothing. So even to call something nothing is we have to have something to call nothing. <laughs> because what's beyond Chachma, we can't even call nothing. We have no words for it. At least we can call nothing. It's because we have an impression, we have a sense, we have a felt sense. We have a se- so. At least we can call it nothing. We don't have any other words to describe it, but at least it's it's the beginning of consciousness. It's the seed of consciousness. So, all that follows, the something that follows, all originates from that nothing. From the first seed from that spark of consciousness, which is really in a state of nothingness. That's the state of Chachma. That's the level of Chachma. Chachma is a level of egolessness. That's why the creative person, the creative genius, has to be in a state of egolessness, has to be open, listening, open, aware, open to something that's beyond it. And that's why he's open, he has that window to the soul. He's able to receive that communication and to sense those things that no one else senses. The creative genius is able to sense things and to see things that nobody else senses because he's open, because he's egoless, because he's not full of himself. A mind that's full of itself can't, is not open to think out of the box. You're too square. To get out of the box, you have to be in a state of egolessness. You have to suspend your ego and be in a state of I don't know your your, your approach to life has to be I don't know the analytical mind the brilliant analytical mind his state his approach in life is I do know and he's the first to tell you he knows how brilliant he is how smart he is and he knows everything and he can figure everything out that person is closed square he's in a state of ego something he's not open to nothing the creative person his assumption in life is I don't know I don't understand. It's so beyond me. It's so infinite. He's open to the mystery of life. He's open to the magic of life, to the soul of life, to the, the mystical part of life. It's beyond logical comprehension. And that's why the creative person is able to catch those, those impressions and is able to capture those impressions and is open to those impressions and those sensations and sense, is able to sense something that's really beyond and is able to open a new path a new direction, think beyond the box, is able to resolve puzzling situations, able to come up with a brilliant, innovative, creative, out-of-the-box thinking, a new path, a new creative path. So all creativity begins with nothing. You have to be in a state of nothingness. You have to be in a state of egolessness. That's the position of Chachm. Chachm is the window to the soul. That's why Chachma is what generates all creativity. Chachma is the spark, the seed that leads to everything that follows. The analysis and the internalization, integration and then the emotions and then leads to motivation and to action. So Reishis, Reishis Baralakim. God creates the whole universe with Rachis, with the divine emanation of Chachma, which is the beginning, the creative spark, which we call nothing. Everything else is something that comes from nothing
0: i.e. the divine Zephira of Homa, which is not apprehensible to any created being, and which is the level of divinity described above as Yota Bereshit, that refers to God as the one who created everything by means of Bereshit, i.e. by means of Zephira, of Homa. This creation occurs at every time and moment, at which all created beings come into being, ex God's wisdom, which animates
1: everything. So it's not only that God created the world 5,774 years ago, created the world with the reishis, with the divine emanation of chachma, of wisdom. But God is creating this very moment, each and every moment, God is recreating the world, each and every moment, with his chachma, with his wisdom. Something from nothing, each and every moment.
0: God not only vitalizes all beings, but also creates them. And since creation takes place ex nihilo, it must occur constantly. For it is explained at the length in the teachings of Hasidut that the relationship between creator and created differs from the ilah, the alil, cause and effect, relationship of, for example, intellect and emotion. Once emotions are brought about by the intellect, they can then continue to exist independently. Because, in truth, the intellect merely serves to reveal pre-existing emotions, it does not actually create them. Creation, ex nihilo, however, is, involves creating a being that previously did not exist at all. The I that creates must, therefore, continuously vest itself within the created being so as to constantly affect the phenomena of creation. This is explained in Ha Yehud Be'cha Emunah, a priori from the splitting of the red sea. This is also the meaning of the statement, He who in His goodness renews each day, continuously the work of creation.
1: Everything in this world, one leads to the other, the cause leads to the effect, the cause doesn't create the effect. The cause just leads causes the effect. It doesn't create it. The effect was there before. The emotions were there before. It's just the cause develops. It's like the mother gives birth to the child. The child existed within the mother's womb. So it's so it's not a creation. It doesn't create something from nothing. It's a development, a further development. Therefore, it doesn't have to be constant. The cause doesn't have to constantly remain in the effect. Cause can walk away and the effect will stand on its own two feet. But with creativity, with creating something from nothing, the nothing, the, the creative process has to be ongoing. The divine creative energy has to constantly and continuously recreate. Because The something has no existence, has no right to exist, has no existence on its own, can't stand on its own two feet, can't exist for one split second, for one moment. Its entire existence is nothing other than the creative divine energy that's constantly creating it. So the creative divine energy has to constantly create, bring it, bring it into existence. And if it would cease, this creative process would cease. It would, it would cease, it would cease would cease to exist we have no existence on our own so therefore god has to constantly create the world god has to constantly be involved in the world god has to constantly bring the world into existence because our world really has no existence it's not a reality it has no reality of its own it's like a, a hologram imagine a hologram it's it's, it's a projection but the projection can't exist on its own. You need to constantly project it. Because all we are, we're just a projection. God is constantly, has to constantly create us. Our whole world and universe, and numbers, concepts, time, space, words, our whole conscious universe is really, it's not an illusion, God forbid. God is creating the world. It says in the Torah, the beginning God created heaven and earth. It's not an illusion. But it's like, the true way, the true perspective is it's like a hologram. God is constantly projecting us, creating us. And we're just a projection of something that's really beyond us. Our true content is really godliness. Everything in the world is really just here a projection of godliness. God is creating us. We just project godliness. There's nothing else. But the delusion, our delusion is that we exist independently. We have egos. I. I exist. This table exists. What does God have to do with anything? I'm successful in business. I'm healthy. I'm enjoying life. What does God have to do with anything? I exist independently. How do you reconcile the fact that God has given man the free choice, free will? Exactly. That's what he's given us, the free choice that we can delude ourselves. He's given us the ability to delude ourselves as if we're an independent reality which is the gr- ultimate delusion he's given us the freedom of choice how we view ourselves to view ourselves correctly what's that famous um, you have a profile a profile of two faces you can either see the two faces or, you, or it looks like two cups that's one of those famous, uh, depends how you look at it. You look at it and suddenly you see a cu- two cups, and then you look at it and suddenly you see what it really is. It's truly uh, two profiles facing each other. So this world is, is, is an, it could be an illusion. You can look at this world and it, it gives off the appearance where something, I'm an ego, I'm independent, I'm on my own, I'm a self-made man, I'm the author of my own success, and God has nothing to do with anything. God wants life. God created life and existence. Here you have these barbarians, these Nazi, Arab Nazi murderers dedicating their entire life and all their wealth to destroy life. God wants life and all they do is build tunnels and throw missiles to destroy life, men, women and children. And half of the world is cheering them on. Intellectual terrorists, media terrorists, cheering them on. So God wants life. Life is divine, life is godly. How dare anyone take a single life? The moment you take a single life, there's no excuse, I don't care what grievances you have, I don't care how angry you are. The moment you throw one missile against civilians, you're a Nazi. And anyone who condones that is also a Nazi. And I couldn't care less what they think. Because there's no one to talk to. Soulless, mindless, brain dead. So God created a world where on one hand it's obvious Life is a miracle. It's divine. It's godly. All the scientists in the world can't create the life of a fly. Life comes from within. Life is divine. How dear. Life is sacred. How dear you take life and declare war against life and existence, indiscriminately bombing and murdering and killing, and excusing that behavior, and treating them and Jews on the same level as if Those who are fighting for life and defending life and defending the sanctity of life by fighting ferociously against those who lost the privilege to live because they've dedicated their life to destroy and to fight against God's will and desire to life. So that's the the delusion. The arrogance, the ego. I am, I'll decide, I am, there's no God. I'll do whatever I want. It's all about politics. It's all about power. Nothing matters. That's the delusion. The reality is, all we are is we're just a projection. God is constantly creating us, projecting us. We're nothing. So when we have a healthy relationship with God, we recognize that God is reality and I'm just a projection of God and my whole being is here to serve God and to reflect God and to to make God proud and to be a godly person and to live a godly life. And godliness permeates every aspect of my life. That's reality. That's a healthy reality. That's a blessed reality. Then the world becomes a Garden of Eden. All the blessings could flow. Because we are a true reflection of Hashem. But the moment we take, we're deluded and we take the delusion for reality. And we divorce and disconnect it from its source. And we say, I exist. And what becomes I and ego and arrogance and money and power and fame and indulgence and that's what life is all about? Then life becomes cursed. You become disconnected from its source. Then it's, it's no longer a blessing. All the money in the world, if you're soulless, all the power in the world, if you're soulless, life just becomes meaningless and nihilistic and Nothing matters, just live for the moment and have fun and, and, and make sure you spell my name right as long as I'm in the headlines. Nothing else matters. Morality, right, wrong, truth, doesn't mean anything. This is, then life becomes really meaningless and nothing. <laughs> then, then it's truly meaningless and worthless and absolutely valueless and absolutely nothing. So that's the choice that we have. We can buy the the delusion, but we can be wise enough to look and say, wait a minute, let me see this properly. Let me get it into perspective. Let me realize we're just like a hologram, we're just a reflection, a genuine reflection, but a reflection. When you see it as a reflection, then suddenly it's real. It's a reflection of something very real, of Hashem, versus we're nothing. As science says, we're just a speck in the universe. So, that can lead you to two conclusions. If I'm just a speck in the universe, then who cares, who cares how I behave? It means nothing. I'm nothing. I'm just floating in this universe. I'm nothing. Who even notices? Who cares? Then I might as well just do it as I please. Play God. Decide what's right and wrong. I want to kill. Who cares? What difference does it make? It doesn't mean anything. We're just a speck in the universe. We come from an amoeba, from apes. Well, let them speak for themselves. (laughs) But if life, if we're a reflection of Hashem, we're something from nothing, we come from Hashem, everything has meaning, everything is sacred, everything is, you can't just play games, take life and play games with life, which is divine and godly. God desires existence and desires life. How dare you declare war? Even the Nazis didn't blow themselves up. How dare you declare war against life? Against existence? This is absolute pure, unadulterated evil scraping the bottom of the barrel. And for anyone to condone and defend this. So this is the choice that we have. And the choice today has never been starker. It's so black and white. In our lifetime, in our generation, has never seen a more black and white situation. The last time civilization was bombed with missiles like this was in World War II and London was blitzed. Did anyone have a doubt who is good and who is evil? Was anyone counting? Oh, in London only 140 people died, but in Dresden 200,000 people died. It's not fear, it's not balanced. It's so black and white. How could anyone confuse the issues? How could anyone talk about, oh, 1,200 Arabs died in Gaza and only 50 Jews. 50 Jews too many. It's so black and white. Who is good and who is evil? But this this is the choice that we have. God gave us a choice. That's the moral choice that you have to make. You see reality for what it is or your arrogance just blinds you to reality. And then life becomes a hell. Because those who are supporting Hamas are the ones who are, have created the hell. Not only for Jews, for Arabs. They're not doing them any favour, They couldn't care less about the Arabs. 170,000 Syrians butchered, murdered chemical weapons. I didn't see anyone marching in Paris. For those poor Arabs, they couldn't care less. It has nothing to do. It's all about pure, unadulterated anti-Semitism. It's all about the Jew. Death to the Jew. There's nothing, there's nothing noble here. There's nothing genuine. The UN suddenly wakes up. Syria, we don't hear a peeps. Nothing. ISIS cutting off heads, chopping off heads. Millions of people dying in Africa. Who cares? The Hamas treating their own Arabs. Throwing people off roofs. Not a sound. Self defense. When Jews defend themselves, all of a sudden everyone wakes up from the president on down or up. Oh, you have to stop those Jews. How dare they defend themselves! You must stop immediately. I mean, it's so blatant. It's blatant anti Semitism. Nazi anti Semitism. And it's not, who cares what these Nazis think? We know what's right and we have to do what's right and we have to teach the world a lesson in right and wrong. You have to have the courage to stand up and do what's right. And then the world will be a safe place, not only for Jews. The Arabs will live in peace. Not under despots and dictatorships and murderers who have no value for their life. But this is the choice that we have. When you realize that Hashem is creating the world each and every moment, each and every moment, and the whole existence is miraculous, I'll just conclude, and then we'll open for questions. The uh, I just heard the other day that uh, these missiles were coming in to attack Israel, and the operators, the Iron Dome tried to shoot it down and the radar told him it's going to hit a building in Tel Aviv where there were hundreds of people and there was no time to evacuate the missile they talking about minutes they shot one missile to try to take it down miss it's 90% successful but 10% not successful they tried a second one they were desperate to, because it was heading right to disaster hundreds of people would have died A second one Missed. A third one. Missed. It was rear. Three missiles. It just it slipped right through. They were watching in horror. Another minute. Biggest disaster. All of a sudden. See a wind came from the east. And it tilted the missile just a little. And it landed. In the Mediterranean. The, the Mediterranean. The operator calls his friend, he says, I have to put on Tefillin. (laughs) He says, there's a God in this world. (laughs) It was was such an open miracle. (laughs) Scientifically, there's no way to explain this. It was like, the hand of Hashem, just saving the day. And 2,500 missiles with the Iron Dome. It's open miracles. It's 90%. All you need is 10% failure rate. All you need is one missile to land. One Patriot missile, if you remember, in Iraq, from, from Iraq, hits Saudi Arabia, and unfortunately, tragically, 29 soldiers lost their life on one missile. Israel had 39 accurate misses during the Scud attacks. 2,500 missiles, open, obvious miracles. Hashem is protecting the Jewish people, protecting the good people. And we pray that the enemies should be completely defeated and routed And they have to apologize for their war crimes. And all those who are supporting Hamas and all those who are showing preference to Hamas should be ashamed of themselves. They've just exposed themselves for the soulless Nazis that they are. No excuses. Till now you had an excuse. You're so open-minded, your brains fell out. You can't think for yourself. But at this point, there are no excuses this point anyone who can't see the distinction so black and white since World War II we haven't had it hasn't been clearer you can't get clearer than this who is good and who is evil and if anyone can't see that no, no sympathy and no excuses you are a Nazi and if you're Jewish you're a kapo you're what a kapo maybe you suffer from the Stockholm syndrome but you are suffering and you need a lot of help. It's so clear-cut. It's so blatant, the anti-Semitism. It's not even even hiding anymore. It's like open. And the Jews have to be strong. The leadership have to be strong. Jews are united. You have to fight ferociously for life. The same ferociousness as these vicious, evil, Arab Nazis fight to destroy existence and destroy life. And we will defeat them, just like we defeated the Nazis. Unconditional surrender. They can't be close to a gun. They shouldn't be allowed, just like Japan is not allowed to have an army for the next 70 years after World War II. Germany was restricted. These Arabs can't be close to a gun. Gaza has to be completely demilitarized. Unconditional surrender. Have to come begging and crawling on their knees and apologize for their war crimes for attacking men, women, and children. Nothing less. And then there'll be genuine peace. Just like we had genuine peace with, Ger- with Germany after we defeated Nazi Germany. We had genuine peace with Japan after we defeated imperialist Japan. Only because it was a total victory, unconditional surrender of our enemies. Nothing less. No negotiations nothing to discuss, There's nothing to negotiate, no one to talk to. With Hashem's help, the leadership will have the strength and the courage to do what needs to be done. And that will lead to genuine peace. Okay, we'll open up for questions.
0: Why, if it's so obvious, which we know it is, is it so many people aren't getting it and seeing it?
1: You know you have to have a little moral fiber Um, if you don't believe in God I think it's become painfully obvious if you don't believe in God it's not only you're lacking in faith you simply can't think straight down becomes up everything becomes upside down you start walking with your head and then the whole world looks upside down and you get everything wrong. Everything is crooked. Everything is distorted. If there's no God, there's no rhyme, there's no reason, there's no logic, there's no sense. All you have is foolishness, stupidity. I mean, the diplomacy that America has been running the last few, days, last few weeks, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. They embarrass themselves. They've made themselves the laughingstock of the world. The Arabs are laughing at them. The Egyptians, the Saudis. The... It's embarrassment. There's no intelligence there's no insight there's no cleverness absolutely the best thing you can say is foolishness it's a lot worse than that so it it's it's in a way it's become so painfully obvious if you take god out of the picture the new york times the paper of record it's not even worth repeating the nonsense that they write it's so it, it's so beyond So it's not only if you don't believe in God, you lack faith. you don't believe in God, there's no seich, there's no sense, there's no line, there's no logic, there's no beauty. You have nothing. Without God, there is really nothing. And we see that today. You take God out of the picture, this is what you end up with. You end up with total foolishness. Senselessness. Ridiculousness. It's It's embarrassing to repeat the things that they write And the positions that they take—it's so—it's so so illogical, it's so nonsensical. Forget about everything else, just from a purely sensible, logical point of view. And yet they keep on repeating this nonsense. And this goes for this is supposed to be savantry. This is the savants, the elite, intellectual elite. Foolishness. A five-year-old child can tell you it's foolish. What, what were the wise men of Oslo thinking? Any five-year-old Jewish child could have told him in 1993 how foolish, how ridiculous, how absurd. The whole premise, the whole assumption of land for peace, the whole underlying assumption of everything that's been taking place the last 20 years, the expulsion of Gush Katif, and everything that led to what's happening today. Any five-year-old child could have told you that. In a thousand years from now, they're going to be scratching their heads Who came up with this? Which fool could have come up with this nonsense? Dangerous nonsense. This is not... Ideas have consequences. These ideas are dangerous ideas, and we're suffering today. The whole country, the whole Israel, is held hostage because of their nonsense. When the Jews were living in Gush Katif, there wasn't a single missile flying. And because of the brilliance of uprooting those Jews, because, it's not fear, it's not right, 8,000 Jews... A million Arabs, we, our soldiers are there. We're putting our soldiers in danger. And look, look, look! Fifteen thousand missiles. The whole country held hostage. Nine years of war. And it just gets worse and worse. And now Iran proclaimed that they're going to give Hamas missiles now that are not dumb missiles. That have GPS that can overcome the Iron Dome and that can yeah, even Russia. destroy the yeah, and they can even even yeah. destroy the Iron Dome. So, it's only a matter of time. So, I mean, this is what Israel has been exposed to. We allowed the terrorists to grow in our own backyards. was against what the Torah said. So. Absolutely. But f- even without the Torah, forget about faith and Torah. and it, it's, it's common sense. But this is what happens when you take God out of the picture. You become so clever, you become so smart, you become so arrogant that you become the world's biggest fool. A greater fool has never been created. He's so brilliant and he's so smart that you you've created this, have created the worst nightmare. The Torah gave us simple, clear guidance. If you only would have followed the Torah and followed the Torah, we, we, the Arabs would be living in peace. But this, this, this but that's why. If you take God out of the picture, you lose your compass. You don't even know what's right anymore. You don't even know what's up. You're in the cave and you think that that's reality. The darkness is, is reality. You can't even imagine that there's light, that there's a sun, that there's truth and reality. And When there's nothing greater than you and you become God and your mind becomes God and you, you become your own God and you decide what's right and wrong and you think that we're just a speck in the universe and who cares and what doesn't matter. And, and then the media you're lost. promotes it. So Absolutely. Some of the media. Absolutely. You're totally lost. You're so lost. And then you have a world of chaos. This is a world of chaos. Because you don't even know what's right anymore. You wouldn't even know if it's steering you in the face. Right now, right and wrong is steering you in the face. How could, how could anyone confuse who is right there and who is wrong? And yet, oh, maybe they're right. It's not fear. Only 50 Jews died and 1,200 Arabs died. It's not fear. I, I mean, <laughs> it's so... You know, it's so frustrating. But that's the answer. If you take God out of the picture, you can't think straight. You lose your ability to think straight. Not only you don't have faith, you don't have a soul. You don't have brains. You don't have beauty. You have nothing. All you have is chaos, nonsense, ridiculousness, absurdity. Anyway... Have a wonderful summer, to be continued, very easy fast, and hopefully Mashiach will come, and we won't have to fast, and Tisha will be in Israel together with Mashiach, the Third Temple, and alter Rebbi himself will give the next Tanya class for a change.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation, There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of Gullahs, of exile, and we will be the first generation of Gaula of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Gullahs, once and for all, O Mashiach himself gave the secret away in his famous encounter with the Baal Shem Tev, He tells the Baal Shem that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem Tev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbes sacrifice themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the Seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebbes, published over 6,000 Tanyas, literally, in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible 24-6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya, we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alter Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at lessonsintanya.com, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring, and a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now, when we'll learn Tanya from the Alter Rebbe himself.